What is going on, everybody? Thank you very much for tuning in to today's show. Um, got just some random topics to talk about. Probably only be maybe about a 30-minute show or so. But uh, we're going to talk. There's a new card podcast that I saw uh, was being posted. And I listened to the first episode. So we'll talk about that really quickly. Um, Panini's. Uh, what they're doing on their reward site that has everybody not so excited. We'll talk about that. Uh, Tops and others, uh, their game you language is getting, ex- I mean, it's been vague for a while, but I think people are starting to really notice it. Um, National Treasures uh, was previewed, I think, today, if you're listening to this podcast, when it, or close to when it comes out, but National Treasures Baseball. Um, a major league players association only product uh, showed some early photos of kind of the big bomb hits. Uh, and there's two players I would be very interested in acquiring uh, if I felt like spending my money like that. Um, Alibaba. They going to buy eBay or are they going to buy PayPal or are they going to buy both of them? Who knows? But that would be interesting. And uh, lastly, kind of a state of the industry box uh, prices are dr- like over the last year, we can take a look at last year's basketball and last year's football have wrapped up kind of their release windows. Maybe there's a set or two I don't know left, but um, every single product basically is is underwater, so to speak. So we'll talk about that. First thing is first, uh, there's a new podcast. They didn't, uh, nobody asked me, nobody sent me an email, nobody's uh, paying me or, or requiring me to recommend this. I figure you guys listen to this podcast and we've been doing it for a while. So some of you might want a fresh perspective or, or listen to, you might just want to listen to somebody new. And there's, it's called the Trading Card Preservation Podcast. I think you can find it at heartbreakingcards.com. So heartbreaking, which is usually what happens when you open up a box, cards.com. Uh, and I listened to the first podcast. I think it was about an hour. I think they talked about a lot about like tops base sets. And um, they talked about if you're a fan of electronic music, there was a whole segment on that. Um and some other things. I found it found it entertaining. I think they just posted the second part to it. So I'll be I'll be trying to tune in to that when I have time. So that's heartbreakingcards.com. Panini. So we all know their reward. I you know, I've wanted to give the reward system uh some leeway, some time to you know, establish itself. I think at this point we can kind of view you know, view it for what it is, and I think it's a brilliant brilliant thing for panini i mean yeah you might have some people complaining about this that or the other but if people use it sure as heck beats trying to fill redemption cards and and probably cuts down on a lot of customer service i think just from a business perspective from panini's perspective i think it's brilliant i think whether they really enhance it to something people really like or not doesn't really matter (laughs) you know i mean as long as people use it i think they they run the risk if they really you know tick off collectors enough maybe they don't use it and then it then it does become a drain uh but uh you know i I kind of uh i like it from their perspective i kind of like from their perspective too but obviously as a collector it's annoying that they charge for shipping apparently they'll charge you 418 for shipping that's probably to the u.s um but that's for, I, th- I believe, for any amount of cards. I mean, maybe if you get a thousand of them, I don't know if that's the case. But so if you order one card, 
you know, even if it's like a 150 point card, 200 point card, you know, you're paying more than what you would have paid on eBay to acquire the same or similar card. So not very inclusive to just ship yourself one card or maybe even two cards. So um, from Panini's perspective, it sounds like they, they want you to build up uh, multiple cards. It ends up being easier for them. Uh, and so they charge you for 18, but people were complaining uh, about that and just kind of the lack of, especially in kind of the football uh, section of the site, it seems like there's less to choose from. I don't know. I don't have any points. I don't open up as you guys know, and we'll get to the biggest reason why I don't open up any unopened boxes, uh, at least until they're on just a dirt cheap fire sale. Or you, I mean, I have boxes around here that I've gotten for free from companies that I haven't even opened. <laughs> so shows you how, even if I get it for free, I'm not really, you know, jumping on the, you know, I'm not jumping out to open it, but, uh, you know, they're trying to get you to, to order more than one, but it seems like, um, in the football section, there's not a lot to choose from. There's some redundancy and, and, you know, in baseball, they can only offer certain ones and, and basketball, obviously I think is there kind of has the most options. If you're a basketball collector, the Panini reward point, uh, might be something worth checking out because it seems like it, that's where the largest catalog is. And they've, you know, they've been making basketball carts, um, the longest at Panini, if you could, if you can call it that. Tops and others, especially I guess exquisite basketball came out this week, and they had these quote. I'll you know I'll put them in air quotes here. I'm sure you guys can see that really well on a podcast, but they have these uh, shoe cards that uh, are not from not from any specific event. They're not game worn, Michael. You know they're a pair of Jordans, but likely they were bought at Macy's and, and Jordan signed them. Still pretty cool. But to call it like a shoe card is, you know, obviously somewhat deceiving. And, you know, I just think, you know, some of the language I've seen on the forums about this stuff is, you know, there are guys that are just getting back into this hobby or getting into it fresh, either young kids that are now getting into it or people that left in the in the 80s and 90s and early 2000s or, and are coming back now that they have a job or they they have more free time or they just want to get back into collecting cards. It doesn't really sit well with a lot of them, not to mention the guys that have been around the hobby for for a long time, their whole life or whatever. So this game use language on the back of cards, if you notice when you pull a, a card, it'll say, like I have one sitting right here. I don't know what it says on the back. It says this relic contained in this card is not from a specific game, event, or season. So... You know what I mean? Like it's I've got like this soccer relic card and it says it's not from a specific game, event or season. And I think, you know, at some point they might even uh, slip the word player in there. So, you know, it's 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 one of those things that, um, you know, we have to get used to, you know, now the relic card, the relic card used to be special. It used to be a box set. Now it's it's it's, you know, close to what insert cards um, became after insert cards and serial number cards were kind of the big hits and gold foil stamping was like the big hit for a while. Um, now, you know, nobody cares about insert cards really. And now nobody really cares about one color, just kind of single color, no, nothing special relic cards, even if they're, you know, patches and, and low, no, low seal number, they're, they're usually not worth a whole lot. Um, 
And, and, and so it's kind of turning people off. And obviously now there's a lot of sticker autographs and kind of redundancy with the autographs. So those aren't worth a whole lot. So there's this kind of perpetual motion in, in the hobby that, you know, I don't necessarily know if we need, I think everybody's always, oh, we need a new set. We need a new, some new rookies. We need a new this. We need a new that. I think we need less of it. I think that would solve a whole lot of things. But uh, we'll talk about the supply and demand later. Um, just the game. Just be careful. I think the Matt, the word is know what you're buying. You know what I mean? I know it's really exciting when Exquisite comes out and there might be shoe cards in there or the new tops or Panini product comes out and it has these big jumbo, pretty looking jumbo patches. But then when you read the language on the back, it's this isn't from any event or season. We, he could have just put this on and taken it off. Basically, they're they're you know they say on the front. Like of the same tops card, it says on the front "game used memorabilia," but then on the back it says this: the relic contained on this card is not from a specific event, game, or season. So is it game used? He, I mean, the language on the backs basically implies he could have just put this on and taken it off, and on the front it says "game used memorabilia." So which one is it? And obviously, you know, the, I'm sure there's lawyers, you know, these companies, they don't want to get sued. They get sued every, you know, these companies get sued at least a few times a year or they sue somebody else. Like Topps is suing somebody for their their ring pop. Somebody knocked off their ring pop design. I guess they have a patent on the, the ring pop. So don't think you can go uh, reproduce ring pops without uh, Topps lawyers suing you. Um, but these companies are being sued or suing people all the time. And that that's kind of the nature of the beast. When you, you know, every, almost every company I invest in is getting sued or is, is involved in some litigation. And when you, when you're reading the 10Q, it's like, oh yeah, we spent, you know, $1.2 million on, on litigation. And you're like, wow, I didn't see any court cases or anything. Nothing was going on. But yeah, they have to have a lawyer on staff probably for, you know, some of these companies, probably several millions of dollars a year. Uh, just kind of in salary. So these companies are getting sued all the time. So I understand some of this language has to be vague and and not to the point. But just be careful out there if you're out there buying, especially if you're into it new or you don't, if you only make a small amount of purchases or you're kind of one of these people, and this is okay, if you're one of these people that kind of make real quick impulse buys, you see a new card like an exquisite card or whatever out on the market and, and it's at a buy it now that you think is, is reasonable and you just kind of snap buy it before reading the back of the card or or kind of fully investigating what the card really is um you know take a breath before you drop five six seven hundred thousand dollars on a card you know anything on you know obviously a two dollar relic card's a two dollar relic card but um you know just take a breath make sure you know what you're buying you can always find um information about cards all over the place so you can you can you can ask the companies you know i don't know how i think the companies could be more receptive on um on forums you know i'm reading threads on forums and stuff and it just seems like a a perfect place for the company to have some kind of representative instead of spending you know these companies spend a lot of time on twitter and just kind of blasting here's a free card free card retweet for a free card they could you know put the twitter down for a second take a breath from it you can leave it up too if you want but go to some of these collector forums out there and respond to people, you know, get out in front of it. If there's a lot of, you know, I know these guys don't get paid enough. The guy that has to sit down there and take the heat doesn't get paid enough. But if you train them, 
you know, there's a lack of leadership, obviously, at the at these companies too. But if I would, if I own, and I'm sure many of you out there, if you own one of these trading card companies, you just train a guy. You say, hey, go to these forums, and if there's people saying BS, this, f this, f this, this, you know, Panini sucks, Top sucks. There, there's a way to handle that as a company. My my greatest example is Domino's. Don't eat at Domino's. I, you know, I can't. Maybe I've had a couple Domino's pizzas in my life, but not in the last at least twenty years. I, I don't remember eating a Domino's pizza. But what I do admire the company about for, and I think a lot of other people out there, um, certainly their sales numbers have turned around from a company that was was borderline struggling. I think they're doing. I don't know how they're doing, but I think they're doing better. The first thing they did is they started listening to people and admitted, yeah, our pizza sucked. It was low quality. We didn't use quality ingredients. We didn't care about the product. Our franchises weren't well trained. You know, what's wrong with Tops? Go into the forums and, and guys bitching about something. And then a guy from Tops comes in there. Hey, guys, we hear you. You know, that those are some really good points. I'm going to pass it on to this guy. Or, or, hey, we know we messed up. You know, when I've talked to the people on Tops, we talked about um, some of the serial number they used. It looked kind of like dot matrix itch. It looked like they, they were basically testing it out. When, and actually, um, a good friend of mine on the call said, it looked like you could rub it off. If you rub the serial number too much, uh, it would come off. And so they said, yeah, you know, we kind of have gotten that feedback. And, I, you know, they're going to go. Maybe they use it in certain instances, but they're going to move away from the serial number. They admitted that they did something wrong. And I think getting out there in public and doing it more often, not just on. See, the problem with Twitter is it gets buried. And, and, and Twitter is like instant. Like, I want to read my timeline now. And if I go away and I go for a run or go to a movie, I'm not the one to go back and read what everybody said. You know what I mean? I mean, yeah, if you're following like five people, it's it, it might not be that hard. But if, you, if you're following thousands and thousands of people, you're not going to be able to catch up. You go on vacation for a week, you're not going to go back through. But on a forum, you know, maybe the thread's still up there. Maybe, it, it you know, it, it's, it's, it's just gotten a lot of response. And so I can go on vacation for a week and come back and read some stuff. So I think communication, you know, this game use stuff, it, it seems to be rubbing collectors the wrong way. I think companies can get out there and maybe explain, hey, this is why the language is that way. This is what, you know, what we're trying to accomplish here. And we hear you guys and maybe we'll try to make some adjustments. I think that could just go a long ways. National Treasures got some preview picks of basically uh, probably like uh, like k sets like not, not even you probably you know looking at triple you have to open up three cases to get a card that cool what they showed but still if if you're in the market for single cards uh some of this stuff looked pretty cool most notably for me barry bonds and i think that's where panini could have an edge with this baseball stuff because you know tops can't put out a Barry Bonds car. I mean, they, they probably could, you know, I know they're doing McGuire and some, and I'm sure at some point tops will do maybe some Barry Bonds stuff, but for right now, eh, he's kind of in that, in that no zone. He's been for a while. I think he's getting back into the go zone, obviously with Panini doing it. 
And also, if you don't know, I remember seeing a show with Barry Bonds. He kept he he keeps a lot of his memorabilia. In fact, he has a storage unit that's probably worth a fortune if it went on to a storage wars type show. But I've actually seen a show where he's given a tour. He has a you know a, I don't know a twelve by twelve or maybe a little bit larger storage unit, and it's all his jerseys, all his bats, all these gloves. He said that Willie May, I think it was Willie Mays, told him that's what he regrets not having. Willie Mays basically said, I regret not having my, my, you know, jerseys and, and gloves and, and baseballs, because that's what, you know, aside from the, I think Willie Mays said, aside from the memories, that's all you have. You know, if you didn't win, you know, if you won a world champ, you know, guys keep their world championship rings unless they go flat broke. But, um, you know, Barry kept a lot of his stuff. And so there's not a lot of his game use stuff, but his autograph is pretty nice. And it's relatively, I would say relatively rare only because he hasn't been desirable, you know, a desirable signature over the last couple of years. And quite honestly, I don't think he really, I mean, like a lot of athletes, I don't think he really needs the money. And also a lot of people don't realize he deferred. I think he's still on salary for the Giants. I don't know if that's true, but I think he... He was being, he's still being paid, I think, by the Giants because he had a large contract and then he deferred a lot of the money, um, into, into future years. So the Giants had some, some wiggle room, I think, for the stadium and for other things. And towards the end, it was for, for signing other players and things like that. So Barry's still getting paid. Um, there was some Chris Bryant cards in there that looked really, you know, if you're a fan of Chris Bryant and you think, you know, the problem with Chris Bryant, I will say, you know, I remember Bryce Harper was like, oh God, Bryce Harper, Bryce Harper. And Bryce Harper's, you know, he's still, I think he's probably only like 21 years old. He's not very old, but you know, Bryce Harper cards are still valuable, but they haven't gone up and up and up and up and up every single year. And I, I would caution people out there about Chris Bryant. The hype and the, the energy behind him reminds me a lot of Bryce Harper. Um, and unless Chris Bryant comes up, I mean, if he comes up next year and bats 305 and has 19 home runs and 97 RBIs, his cards are going to go down. And he had a great season. You know, I mean, yeah, if he does something like he leads the Cubs to the World Series, he'll be a god. But uh, like I said, if he bats just under 300 and and doesn't hit 400 home runs and, and 300 RBIs and, and wins MVP you know, his cards will likely um, not do a whole lot. I think that's probably a better way to say it. Look at Buster Posey. Buster Posey's won the MVP. He's won this and that. And yeah, his cards are valuable, but we don't see that exponential growth in his cards. So, you know, now I believe, I might regret saying this, but I think before the guy even comes to the major league is the time to sell because, you know, you, you can you can buy back at a later date, even someone like Madison Bumgarner right now, I think the time is to sell right now because later on the giants are not going to, maybe they do win the world series every other year. I don't know, but you could probably get a deal in that down year or if he gets injured or whatever things happen. So with Chris Bryan, I'd probably likely be a seller if I had any of his cards. Um, you can always come back and buy Chris Bryant. Doesn't mean you hate Chris Bryant if he sells cards or you'll miss out on an opportunity to get that card back one day. I don't think so. I mean, like I said, look at Buster Posey, look at Bryce Harper, even someone like Mike Trout has done pretty much everything. It's not like their cards just keep going up and up and up and up and up every year. So I think they reach a plateau and unless they do crazy things like, 
you know, stuff like what Tiger Woods was doing or, you know, I mean, look at Derek Jeter. Even his card is kind of, you know, I mean, yeah, his stuff's worth a lot of money, but it doesn't go up exponentially every year. So I'd be I'd be cautious about buying him, but certainly feel very special if I pulled one of his cards. Um, and yeah, if you're in the market for s- some expensive higher end single cards, these National Treasure cards I think will be uh, be pretty popular. I think they'll rival they'll they'll rival the the desirability of maybe not quite the Bowman Chrome on card autograph, but. It'll be a, a pretty special card, especially if Chris Bryant and some of these guys, um, maybe some young prospects in there. I don't know if they're doing the RPAs, but w- they would be very, um, very exciting, probably um, very desirable cards. Moving on, Alibaba like exploded onto the scene with their IPO where they raised billions and billions of dollars. And it's already a company that generates uh, free cash. I think today, I think November 10th or maybe it's the 11th. I can't remember. Um, One of these days is like that singles. It's called Singles Day in China. And the sales on that day is incredible. Um, To give you an idea about Alibaba, uh, it's a company that's larger than eBay and Amazon combined. Combine eBay and Amazon and Alibaba is bigger. So it gives you an idea how big this company is. And that's why the rumors are out there that Alibaba could be in the market one day, um, maybe very soon, to buy eBay and or possibly PayPal. Um Both will become attractive, um, you know, candidates to buy out. At some point, um, and certainly Alibaba, which obviously already, if they're doing double the business, eBay and, and, and PayPal and Amazon combined in China, you better believe Alibaba with all the money that they have and a public, very public IPO and lots of U.S. investors, they want to come to the U.S. And with a name like Alibaba, um, it, it, it sounds, I, I don't want to offend anybody. And I, I have some of my greatest friends are from Syria and the Middle East and the United Arab Emirates. So I, we, we jab each other all the time. But the name Alibaba, I know it's from China, but has kind of a Middle East feel. And I don't know how, how favorable that, that rolls off the tongue here in the United States for obvious reasons. Um, some of them good, some of them not good. But I think they need to come to the U.S. under... It'd be perfect if they just bought eBay or if they bought a company that was already doing Etsy or one of these companies that already had a brand here and they basically, boom, get you their U.S. Uh, company um, under a brand new name because I don't know how successful, but you can use Alibaba here. You know, yeah, if you're business to business or you're trying to order stuff from China, Alibaba and and Tmall or whatever the 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 instrument they have over there for you to use is i mean i've been you know if I, sometimes I, I i don't need to source any uh products from china but sometimes if you're doing research on companies you're wondering how are they getting this how much are they paying for it so you get on alibaba and you can you can find that out but anyways i think it'd be interesting if they if they came if they they target it and I, it wouldn't surprise me but the the one interesting thought i have here is everybody complains about ebay fees well if Abia, alibaba bought it i don't know if they change a whole lot and they might not change anything but alibaba's structure is actually free everything is free to list on alibaba no commission no whatever um for the most part 
their their biggest site, I think it's Tmall or something. You you essentially pay to promote your site, you pay to get it on the front page, pay to bold it, pay to you know add a caption or pay to whatever. I don't know their whole. Uh, I haven't looked into their business model all that much. Um, but you basically pay to elevate your thing. Um, so it might be kind of interesting if they came to eBay and, and kind of implemented that. Might be uh, might change some of the the landscape there certainly with someone like amazon but even within our own hobby if 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 alibaba you know came and and made a real kind of free to list option free to list and sell option um kind of popular and work for them you know someone like check out my cards would have to be nimble on their feet because all of a sudden what now i can list for free on um ebay uh you know and maybe amazon follows suit then, you know, check on my cards might want to change, think about altering their business model. Although they do have that, the the advantage I, I see on check on my cards is I don't have to do anything. I can just send them my cards and that's it. I can price them and when they sell, I don't have to deal with emails and questions and all this stuff. And yeah, if you only have 200 cards, it doesn't matter. But, you know, if you have, I've sold, bought and sold over 120,000 cards on there. Believe me, that would have been a, a ton of trips to the post office and getting bubble mailers and getting tape and, you know, having returns and issues and questions and that stuff. I don't want to work. I just want to sit around and, and sell baseball cards. So it'd be kind of interesting. We'll see. It's a year, year. You know, when eBay spins out PayPal, they either, you know, when they spin it out, it either gets bought by one or both of the companies will get bought at that time, or it'll happen shortly after that, I would guess. But, um, you know, Alibaba has some money in their pocket kind of burning a hole. So we'll see what they end up doing with it. But it, but that's a very interesting, if you're into e-commerce, if that's something that you want, you know, you, you, you sell buy and sell baseball cards, I would tell you, you need to buy and sell. If you want to make a living out of buying and selling baseball cards on eBay and, and Amazon and, and wherever, on Craigslist, on forums, wherever, you want to make that your business, I would tell you, you need to start buying and selling a lot more than baseball cards and trading cards. You need to start buying and selling all kinds of stuff. Because, you know, it's just not going to be, you're never going to make enough money uh, to really get anywhere. You need to start buying and selling all kinds of stuff. So this e-commerce stuff, you should keep your finger on the pulse of that. Make sure you know what Alibaba is doing. Make sure you know what's happening in Amazon and eBay and, and some of these smaller sites that, that, get, that get set up. Last thing, speaking of selling... <laughs> Oh, actually, I'm going to go to this. Um, I know that I've gotten several emails on this NASCAR. So I just wanted to run down for you uh, that didn't catch it. Then now they got a Ford of the Ford of the Cup. So you might if you if you have any NASCAR c- cards, you might want to drag them out because these four, one of them are going to win the, the championship this year. Denny Hamlin is is number one. He's in the top position. Joey Logano. He's looks like he's I mean, I know he's already won races and done really well, but here's kind of the younger next generation guy in NASCAR. I know he's been on the on the Cup Series for for a few years now, at least. Um, But young guy and kind of being the new guard here. And that'll be interesting. Ryan Newman is up there and Kevin Harvick. So no. You know, we don't have the Jeff Gordon. He was eliminated. Uh, Obviously, Gordon, um, not Gordon, um, Jeff Gordon, obviously eliminated. But Earnhardt Jr. obviously was eliminated, I think, a couple weeks ago. Uh, No 
Carl Edwards, no Jimmy Johnson, no Brad Keselowski, who <laughs> seems to be entertaining at least uh, from the fights that he starts, no Matt Kenseth. So maybe the not the the biggest names in NASCAR at the top, but certainly kind of interesting. And, and you know, honestly, that that might help NASCAR. I don't know. I'm just guessing here, but. Um, you know, sometimes when the top guys win all the time, it's it's not very healthy. Although golf is is the prime example of of how how bad the sport has gotten uh, without Tiger Woods. So sometimes it is good to have a Jimmy Johnson winning every year. But um, I'm sure if you're a fan of Logano or or Kenny Hamlin or some of these other guys, you're happy they made it. Moving on, our last topic here. Um, 13, 14 NBA basketball products have obviously come out and gone. And it basically every single one of them, except for Panini Spectra and obviously flawless, immaculate and uh, national treasures. I don't know if that, yeah, that has come out. That actually is down in price. Um, pretty much across the board, you're looking at, I would guess this is a bare minimum 10 to 20%, sometimes as much as 30%, 40% reduction in price over what it was of original wholesale. So, for example, um, Pinnacle Basketball came out at 79 That was the distributor cost, and now you can get it for $60. Um, Panini Preferred was 159 Now it's 125 Panini Prestige was 79 Now it's 55 Panini Select was 112 Now it's 95 Panini Spectra, here's the one, if you load it up on Spectra, if you're able to do that, that's the problem with this, you know, guys see, oh, I could have, you know, I could have just bought all of Spectra. Well, that's not really how it works with these distributors. You can't just set up an account and wait all year for the best product to come out and say, yeah, I'd like to have 20 cases of that. doesn't really work that way. You have to buy all this other stuff. Spectra went from 235 to 275 So, you know, 20, if you're looking at 20% selling fees, you know, that's $40 right there. So it's not like you're making any money. That's the thing with all this product is the fact that it goes down 20 or 30%. If you, if you factor in that you, you're paying, I mean, at bare minimum, you're paying some kind of transaction fee, whether it's three to 5% on a credit card or two to 3% on a credit card or, you know, two to 5% for PayPal, you know, that gets lumped off. But if you sell it on eBay, you know, you're looking at 10 to 20% right there. So not good. Last year, I think with the NBA, it's just, you know, you know, the companies, they basically put themselves, put themselves in this situation by making kind of the rookie cards, the one and only intriguing part of the set. So because rookies are really the only hits that you get and kind of the only intriguing thing that people are kind of looking at. Um, it just goes down in value. If they had LeBron James in this set, in these sets, autographs and stuff, maybe it's a different story. If you have Michael Jordan in here, being able to be a case hit, you know, might be, certainly would probably be a different story because the, the, the quality of card you could get would just be exponential more and better. But because they don't have Michael Jordan and, and Kobe was, has been hurt for a year, you know, it's no wonder that, and, and, you know, it's just a, I mean, this year I expect the same thing. I think this year's basketball is just, you know, now Marcus Smart has an injured ankle. He was, another, you know, now we're looking at Embiid isn't playing. There was another guy drafted in the lottery, I think, that's in Europe. So you don't get those two guys. Wiggins comes off the bench and, and you know, is, is 
to the uninitiated might everybody think, oh, he's a bust. Oh, it's uh, Anthony Bennett might be better now. Um, you know, you got to wait in the NBA. And and Parker, I know he plays and, and he'll, if he stays healthy, will will definitely be, I think, the rookie of the year. I don't think anybody can touch him. But if you wait a year or two on these guys, um, look at Tony Roten. He's a guy that my brother has been buying all summer mainly because he plays on a team where there's nobody where, you know, most of us listening could probably score four or five points on, on the Sixers. And, and that's obviously a joke unless, you, you know, I, I think if you played high school basketball, maybe you could. But uh, you got to give these guys a few years in the NBA. So, and, but, you know, uh, you know, most collectors aren't very patient. So, you know, as we see, nobody's willing to wait on the, buy these boxes in the anticipation to wait on the rookies. Another thing I see on the forums is, you know, that's kind of where the hobby is now. Instead of it being, oh, I'm going to buy this box, and I know the rookies aren't playing really this year, and they're not that good, but I think they'll be good in a couple years. And part of it is because, you know, we've all become accustomed to sports where very few of these guys become Barry Sanders or become Aaron Rodgers or Derek Jeter or, you know, even if they become Barry Bonds, nobody wants to collect them later in life. So things happen. People aren't willing to wait and collect. They want to buy the box, open it up, and hope they get their, you know, close to their money back or more and then sell it and go buy the next box. And you're getting less and less people over time wanting to do that. So it's really, it's not good. And, okay, that's basketball. Forget forget that. Let's look at 2013 football. And as we know, this is... This was a really bad year for rookies. Bowman Sterling, two thirty-two original cost. Now you can get it for a buck twenty-four. Uh, Tops five star. Oh, the high end. Oh, just buy five star and you'll be cool. That was three eighty-six. Now it's two fifty-five. Um, something like Panini Spectra. That was a big hit in basketball. It was two thirty in in football. Now it's one eighty. So it's one of the bigger flops. Panini Select, ha- almost half the price. It was one thirteen. Now it's. 60 wow national treasures i could have oh i could just load up on treasures i'd be fine nope that was 400 dollars. now it's 350 uh panini contenders it's 115 now it's 93 that's another set people tend to like um every single one of tops tops products is down big top triple threads 165 to 115 again this is for 2013 football obviously eddie lacy hasn't come come back and done a whole lot um bernard Giovanni Bernard is hurt. I mean, he looks good when he plays, but he's kind of the he's he's always gonna you're always gonna have to have that second running back in in Cincinnati or wherever you have Giovanni Bernard because he's not an every down guy. So you know, was, I I question why the Bengals went as high to get Jeremy Hill in the draft, but now I see wow that was a great pick obviously because uh, the guy's hurt now. So and they'll probably you know the Bengals will probably draft another running back next year so don't get so super high on Jeremy Hill because you know chances are the Bengals will just keep drafting running backs and and like most of these teams I'm sure the Packers will be in the uh, market for a running back as well and uh you know this year's 2014 football you know I think a lot of people are just kind of stale on it you know you don't have Johnny playing Bortles is I think a lot of it had to do where, where some of these players went you know you had the best receiver he's in Buffalo and you have, you know, Kyle Orton in Buffalo. You know, how exciting is that? Um, you know, the best 
uh, running back. Who's the best running back? I think, you know, there's a couple good running backs in there, but one of them's a backup in San Francisco. Um, another one, Bishop Sankey is on the Titans, I think. Um, Andre Williams got his shot and he didn't really do much with it. So there, it's just not a very great year. And the quarterbacks, you had Bortles go to Jacksonville, which, uh, you know, you can get tickets to the game for free probably. Uh, you know, Johnny's buried in Cleveland. And, oh, and Derek Carr, I think, was probably one of the best of the bunch. He's in Oakland, and everybody in Oakland hates that team right now. So kind of, you know, the right players went to kind of the wrong situations, I believe, too. You know, the best rookie might be Brandon Cooks of uh, New Orleans. And, you know, a slot receiver, more of a catch guy. You know, and, and if you're not in a PPR league, he's probably on the waiver wire. So, you know, he's not that not that sexy of a player, so... 2014, I think, had the setup to be good. And maybe, you know, towards the end of the season, maybe some some things happened to kind of shake. You know, I know it took Eddie Lacy a little while to kind of, to you know, but we're getting into week, I think we're into week, you know, 10 or 11 of the, the NFL season. So it's getting a little late here. Um, but the playoffs could open some things up, but it's certainly not going to elevate these these boxes over and above. And, you know, I just think... It's a tough business. Certainly, if you're out there, if you're group breaking, I think everybody went to group breaking because you can't compete with blowout cards and uh, some of these other guys because their distributors, a distributor runs blowout cards. So, you know, do the math there. That That's why, you know, I get these emails. Oh, I want to start buying and selling boxes. I want to, you know, compete. You know, one day I'll put blowout out of business. I'll, you know, I'll be with you. No, what you'll end up doing is you'll join them one day. If you get big enough and get enough market share, the distributor that runs blowout will say, hey, why don't you just, you know, keep your brand and we'll supply the cards. And, you know, that'll be the deal. You'll run it at a distributor margin and you'll be kind of the retail front for our distributor. So ultimately you, you would end up joining the the blowouts. You wouldn't compete with them. You'd end up joining the same club as them. But uh, last thing, uh, this has kind of been uh, interesting. The last couple days, uh, a couple days ago, I tweeted out the MLBPA, what they've received for trading cards. And there's a guy that does, I think, business. I think it's for ESPN. I remember when he was on. He had a show on CNBC that was actually kind of entertaining. But his name is Darren Rovell. And I tweeted out the other day that um, in 2007, the actually, let's go all the way back in 2006 or in 2005, the MLBPA, usually it's about 11, uh, from what I've read and, and kind of the stuff I've seen, the the, te- the league is getting, or the Players Association is getting a 10 to 11% royalty for baseball cards um, on top of all sales. So when when the, the payment is 16.2, I guess you could assume that there was $160 million or so worth of sales, and that was in 2005. 2006, it ticked up to 17.81 million. In 2007, it, it kind of peaked actually, uh, in, in terms of the, the data that I have, uh, 20.98 million. That was upper deck was actually a big, big reason for that, uh, that year. So I don't know if 2007 was a real big high end year or what, what happened in 2007. Uh, but it was a great year for baseball cards. 2008, 19.3 million. 2009, 17.5 million. In 2010, 
all the way down to 12.34 million. So we're now half of just a few years ago. Um, 2011 was 10.68 million, 9.9 million in 2012 and 10.5 million. So we've essentially been flat, uh, for the last two years, 2007, I guess is significant because that was when tops was purchased by, um, a private equity firm. And as we've seen, the value has gone down and down and down, uh, ever since then. Now what the, this I don't know 100% that all this data comes from is there was like a lawsuit or something happened where the leagues were required to show this information um, to to the public. You can go on to the, like, the Department of Labor website and kind of dig these numbers out. Um, but essentially... I don't know if these include, there may be a guarantee. It could be that Topps is paying, has to report the 10.5 million figure and then they're paying another guarantee on top of this. I don't know. That I don't know. Um, but either way, it's, it's not good. Either way, it shows that as a percentage of sales, the royalty payments are going down and down and down and down and down every year. And so the guy from ESPN kind of wanted to know where I got these numbers and if I had other ones and I let him know. And, and he, you know, I'm getting quite a response actually now on Twitter of people kind of responding saying, Hey, I don't collect cards anymore. Oh, they're not worth what they're printed on. You know, they oversaturated the market and it's still oversaturated. So, you know, depending on who you listen to out there, I think we've gone over some stats uh, today with with the declining bo- wholesale box prices. People are not, you know, even with the advent, I thought, you know, group breakers have been quoted as saying, oh, we're going to save the hobby and oh, the, the hobby's turning around. No, nah, not really. They really just took market share from people that were selling the unopened boxes because the box prices are still going down. So it's not like the demand, if the demand has had risen, if these group breakers had created all this new demand and all this new money was flowing in the hobby, the, the price of these boxes should be going up, but they're actually going down and they're going down at a rate probably faster than even in years past. Um, and obviously the royalty payments, we can look at the MLBPA royalty payments. We can also look at the deal that Panini uh, worked out with the NFLPA. It was for essentially, you could call it $20 million a year. And the two companies, Panini and Topps, had combined for, I think it was like $23, $24 million over the last two seasons, even in what are considered down years with bad, quote, bad rookie classes. Some of the, some of the, one of those data included a bad rookie class. So Panini got the, got the NFLPA to agree for less than what they were making now. And part of that is because part of the licensing agreements, it is a lot about money. And these the MLBPA is allowed to look at your books when you fi- when you apply for one of these licenses. One of the requirements is looking at audited financial statements. And my guess is if they have, you know, part of the reason why the MLBPA might be willing to go from twenty million down to ten is they might have realized. Well, these companies are going to put each other out of business. And maybe that's what the NFL PA decided that, hey, we could, you know, we could have Tops and Panini both in the market, but one of them is going to go out of business one day if they keep competing like this. So then we, or then maybe they both drive each other out of business. Then we're not making any money. So let's just take money from one of them. I don't know if that's how it works or if they're really thinking that deeply. 
but certainly sales are going down and down and down and down. And demand, really, that's what it is. is sales, you know, are, are one thing, but it's really the demand. The demand for trading cards, the demand for new trading cards is just going down year after year after year after year. And so that's something that hopefully will be turned around. I don't see it. I think really the way, the quickest way to get demand up, to get demand back up to a good level, is to lower the supply. But what we see is we've got more car, you know, more trading cards and more sets and more stuff coming out all the time, all the time, all the time. It's just raising the raising the supply when the demand's not already there. So it's like it's like a company that their stock is at ten dollars, and they're trying to get it to go up, but they have to keep ra- you know releasing shares to raise more money, more money, more money. That's why those companies go down and down and down and down and down. So it you know people get on me oh I you know I talk negatively about the hobby well guys I'm looking at the numbers I'm looking at what people are saying I go to the forums or when something like this gets tweeted out by an ESPN reporter all these other people say yeah I stopped collecting cards oh they're they're worthless oh they're pieces of crap the kids don't like them they're not appealing to kids anymore blah 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 they're all making really good points and instead of kind of sitting here like a lot of people do and say, hey, oh, I'm not worried about it. Oh, it doesn't affect me. Oh, I'll keep collecting cards. Oh, I'm trying to get out in front of it and make people aware of this and say, hey, there's a supply problem. There's a demand problem. And the longer you go on that track, bad things continue to happen. Companies start going out of business. Collectors keep dropping off year after year after year. They say, oh, it's not worth it. It's not worth collecting these cards anymore. They're not worth anything. They keep going down and down and down. It's not worth buying unopened boxes. And when you stop buying unopened boxes, how do you think Panini and Tops make money? So I know people don't appreciate the alarm bells and kind of the things that are going off, but they're going off and they're alarming. Sales are half of what they were seven years ago, not even seven years ago, six years ago. We're not even talking about a decade. If the, if the sales continue another four or five years, I know most people in this hobby, most people in general, don't look four or five years down the road. That's why retire, people never retire. They work till they're 70 because they never thought, oh, maybe I should save some money. Maybe I shouldn't spend all my money on cards and crap that I don't need. What about six years from now? If, if sales are 50% what they were just four or five years ago, what about four or five years from now? Even if they only drop 20, 30, 40%, an improvement over what we've seen. Uh, that's not good. They're going to get down to the just minuscule business. People think this is a big business. Top, you know, Tops is, is barely a $200 million company. Panini, yeah, they, they, they're probably worth a little bit more than that. They're probably worth maybe $700 million, $600 million, somewhere in that range. Maybe a little more, maybe a little less, depending on what currency you use. But they're, the, you know, combined, they're not even billion-dollar companies. Barely combined and apple sells like a billion dollars worth of phones in like a day google makes like a billion dollars on ads in a day facebook makes billions of dollars a quarter 
companies that you know are also rands like Microsoft make billions of dollars in a quarter. Websites like Snapchat that don't even have ads running are worth ten to twenty billion dollars, ten to fifteen billion dollars. Basically, you could buy Panini and Tops for one tenth of what a, a website like Snapchat is worth. So it just shows you guys this this industry is nothing. It's like a speck on the radar, and it's declining year after year after year. And nobody, nobody, and when someone like me or others out there like alarm bells and tell people it's declining, guys, and it's continuing to decline. Everybody's like, oh, don't ruin it. Don't, oh, you're ruining the hobby. Oh, you know, that's not true. Not really. Just because you'll stick around and a couple other people stick around doesn't gonna, isn't going to make it sustainable. It needs to start growing. People need to start figuring out ways. And I've given out countless of them on here. Number one thing you need to do is lower supply. There's way too much cards out there, way too much supply. It's oversaturating the market. I think we can all tell that. And you're charging too much, number two. You've turned this into a luxury premium item. Should I buy my wife a Gucci purse or should I buy a box of trading cards that has $40 worth of cards in it or $4 worth of cards in it? Let me think. Should I buy myself a Rolex watch or a case of Flawless? The Rolex watch actually probably goes up in value as long as I don't scratch it up and ding it up. It actually probably will go up in value. Whereas the flawless cards, unless the rookie averaged 25 points for his career, isn't going to be worth shit. So that's where we're at now. It's should I buy a Gucci purse, which doesn't go down in value at all, or should I buy, uh, you know, this box of cards that has a crapshoot in it? Should I, I mean, really, should I go to the casino and act like a baller and throw $5,000 on the table and have women and, and get a suite and all kinds of perks for that? Or should I buy a box of trading cards and sit alone in my room and open it or watch some guy on a webcam open it? So you can see how the choices, you know, should, I mean, go to the strip club with 6000 and be the man or buy a box of cards and watch a bunch of stinky men watch me open it. I mean, you can wonder why, you know, but if it's $5, if it's buy a box of trading cards for $30, I mean, that's a much better value proposition. I'd probably buy boxes of cards if they were $20 or $30 because it's like, what? what's $20, $30 for me? Not much. Now I can't even get a pack for that much. Price, supply, and demand all need to be addressed and nobody's addressing it. Because there's no leadership, there's no true CEOs out there or anything like that kind of driving this ship. And the more you guys as collectors speak up, the better it'll get. But if you sit back and say, oh, it's okay, let them all get out, let all the let the hobby die, I don't care, cool. Don't blame me for wanting to get out in front of it. So I encourage you guys out there, if you think there's something wrong with the hobby, get out there and, and do just your small part. You know, nobody's going to, you know, change, turn the hobby on a pivot or, you know, do a quick U-turn here and turn it around. But if collectively everybody works together and say, hey, we want $20 boxes, $30 boxes again. We want $1, $2 packs again. We want cards to be more for the mainstream. You know, quit this $500 stuff. You know, maybe some things will happen, but we'll see. 
I'll be fine being a lone voice on this. I'll use my small platform that I have here, which, believe me, is very small and insignificant, but I'll use it how I want to. And so I'm glad those of you that have tuned in, whether you agree with me or not, I appreciate you guys listening today. We'll be back another time, another place, but for now, we are out of here.